0: add my welcome to you all this morning, my name is Greg Dernberger and I'm the uh, senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, one of the elders here, and I do invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices uh, or to the screen up here behind me to the Gospel of John chapter 14, we've been making our way through John's biography of the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that it is right to pray and to ask God for miracles? Do you believe it's fitting and permissible for Christians to pursue, pursue signs and wonders and the supernatural presence and power of God? Up until about, I think it was about 1980, I would have answered those questions with an emphatic no. In the conservative Baptist church where I grew up and where I came to faith, we were taught firmly and regularly and emphatically that. Really, only immature people pursue miraculous gifts. Uh, It's only biblically illiterate people, and really more often than not, emotionally unstable people. People who simply just don't know and appreciate the importance of sound Christian doctrine. Who seek after supernatural signs and wonders. But then... Uh, while attending a, I think most people would have thought in those days, a very conservative Evangelical Baptist Theological Seminary. I could mention the name and you would know which one it is. And while studying missionary movements around the world, because my focus and my master divinity was missions and worship, I, I I came to what for me was the shocking realization that... Signs and wonders and miraculous gifts were, were uh, very much a part of God's present activity in the world. And as I met and uh, became acquainted with and engaged with fellow students from other parts of the world, Southeast Asia, Africa, Central America, students who, who did not strike me in this Baptist seminary as immature or naive or unstable, I heard credible, first-hand accounts of works that could really only be attributed to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And as a student, a seminary student, I gave careful attention to portions of Scripture, portions of Scripture such as Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, with a fresh perspective, I found myself experiencing a, a very, uh, well, it was a turbulent time in my life. Uh, I, it was a paradigm shift. <laughs> uh, you know, you, if you're taught something, taught something, taught something, taught something, and then you realize you hear something else that challenges that and, and I mean, really rocks that. It is a destabilizing event in your life. And I, I was undergoing a challenging paradigm shift. And, and, and with fresh eyes, I saw the early church praying like this in Acts 4, 29-30. Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And I was struck, in a new way, by the fact that when they had prayed this way, that that first of all, neither God the Father nor God the Son rebuked them. Don't pray that way. That's wrong. And neither the Lord neither corrected them nor admonished them to really just come on, get on to more important, mature matters. It became clear to me that there was no necessary inconsistency between passionate prayer for the successful proclamation of the word of the gospel. And the passionate pursuit of the supernatural work of God. There was no incongruence between preaching the message of Jesus and pursuing the miracles, the works of Jesus. Now, that discovery was a long time ago, <laughs> and now I'm leading a church where one of our explicitly stated values is the passionate pursuit of the continuing activity of the Holy Spirit in the active presence and power of God. It, uh, it would have been shocking to me back in those days to consider where I am today. And this morning, we come to a text where Jesus quite explicitly promises this very Convergence. Now, my goal in this sermon, frankly, bluntly, (laughs) explicitly, is to persuade you that God God is profoundly pleased. He is profoundly pleased when you pray and ask Him for miracles. He's not going to say, Stop doing that. That's immature. Unstable people do that. He's going to be pleased. And my aim is to show you that the purpose of Jesus promises in John 14:12 to 14 12-14, is that every one of us who believes in Jesus would passionately cry out to Jesus to supernaturally heal hurting souls. Heal diseased broken bodies. Jesus made these promises so that you and I might set free the hearts of others held captive to sin and demonic strongholds. In his name. In order that God the Father would be praised for his power. And exalted in for his compassion. So, that's my goal. Follow along. I invite you. As I read these extraordinary promises Jesus has made to us in John chapter 14 verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will you do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are the holy and divinely inspired authoritative words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. A few moments ago we just sang a prayer asking lord that you might that you might empower every deed according to your sovereign hand what a fitting thing to pray in this moment we register acknowledge that we are under your sovereign Lordship and dominion. We are under your sovereign wisdom. And you are going to accomplish whatever you see fit to accomplish. And we're reading the words of our great Savior. Promising. Extraordinary things. We ask, O Lord, that you would graciously impart to us uh, careful attention to your word and that you might compel us to careful and responsible accountability and compliance and obedience to your word. We need you, Lord. In your spirit, I pray you'd help me. I don't want to sound glib or reckless, um, don't want to be that, Just we, we need you, Lord, to um, bring your presence to bear upon us in this gathering, and that you would be glorified, that's our desire, that we would boast in you, that we would exult in you, and in t- however you see fit to work today, we would wait patiently for you, humbly before you, make your name great, we ask, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the promises that Jesus makes in John 14, 12 to 14, they must be some of the most audacious things that Jesus ever said. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. These promises are some of the most amazing, hopeful, confusing, challenging words to understand. And greater works than these will you do. If you ask me anything, really, seriously, anything. In my name, I will do it. Now, before we seek to unpack the meaning of this text, let me try to set the stage for us this way. Namely, how sincere believers, sincere God-fearing believers in Jesus, understand this whole notion of the miraculous. There's a spectrum of beliefs, and... At one end of the spectrum, by the way, when I start at this end of the spectrum, I'm not meaning you people literally over here, or you on this end, but (laughs) there's a spectrum. At at one end of the spectrum are sincere God-fearing Christ followers whose conviction it is that God does not perform miracles today. Um, Miracles are a thing of the past, and anything that would even remotely resemble a miracle today, I mean, if you just give it a, a solid, logical, careful look, it can be explained as the simple result of normal cause and effect. And the attitude toward the notion of the miraculous by those who are fall into that category in the far end of that spectrum is, is mainly one of cynicism. The idea of supernatural works of Jesus being accomplished through followers of Jesus is responded to with scorn. And there are books written and strong, strong statements written with unfortunate, uncharitable humor. And then you move a little bit further on the spectrum and there are those who would concede concede that miracles might happen, supernatural signs and wonders could happen, but very, 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 very uh, rarely do they happen. And even though they could happen, one should not seek them. And the attitude of those on on this part of the spectrum toward the supernatural works of Jesus, um, through the followers of Jesus, is responded to, not not so much with scorn and scoffing, but with at least skepticism, high, high skepticism. And then you move another slot over, and there are those who believe that miracles do happen today. In some places, they seem to happen more than other places. But yet again, there's, there's a measure of suspicion. And therefore, even though miracles actually do happen, um, we can account for them. Followers of Jesus... Mature followers of Jesus ought not to pursue them, because if you do, you are treading on very dangerous ground. And if God is going to work a miracle, he, he, he does not utilize human agency. And the attitude of this group, and this, this is really the group where I, I think represented the heart of my upbringing, the kind of perspective that I grew up in about the supernatural. It is, at best, doubtful. Open, but doubtful. And the perspective um, on spiritual gifts of healing, that's the word used in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of healing, workings of miracles, these gifts ended when the last of the original apostles died and were buried. So, moving on the spectrum. The next group. And I th- tell you straight up, this is the group I would identify with today. Are those who believe that miracles do in fact happen today. And spiritual gifts such as the gifts of healings and the workings of miracles. They continue to be operational. And our understanding of these kinds of spiritual gifts... Is that they are situational, circumstantial, and are displayed on particular occasions in accordance with God's particular purpose. That is, these gifts are very different, for example, than say the gift of teaching, or the gift of service, or the gift of leadership, or the gift of giving. Teaching, serving, leading, giving are all gifts whose function is fundamentally subject to our will. I teach when I want. I mean, if I didn't want to, I I could have stayed in bed this morning. That would have been difficult, but uh, challenging on a lot of different levels. But, you know, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to do it. I serve when I want. I assert leadership when I want. I give when I want. I proclaim the truth of the gospel when and to whom I want. But healings and miracles, (laughs) these are gifts that are subject to God's will and function when He wants. And the attitude or disposition represented by those in this group, on this part of the spectrum, is mainly, I think, prayerful, expectant. I mean, we, You know, we, we just don't think about gifts of miracles, gifts of healings, as something, you know, we just kind of keep it in our back pocket. And, you know, when you need a healing, or you need a supernatural intervention, you just whip out that gift and, boom, bring it to bear right now. That, that's not how we understand that. Rather, we hopefully and obediently pray for God to empower us by His sovereign hand, and we wait and see what he 's going to do there's one more group again, this is not you know because i 'm reaching out here i 'm not talking about you people per se, but um, there's another group and and whereas for the, for the group on this end of the spectrum, who believe that there are no miracles and God does not work that way, this group on this end of the spectrum believes that there are always miracles. And it is always God's will to bring about supernatural signs and wonders. And not only is it God's will to do miracles, God will do miracles. And if he does not do miracles, it is not his fault, it is your fault for your lack of faith. And loved ones, this group, um, for all of their passion and sincerity, I believe were sadly misguided and in their naivety have done great harm. So how does Jesus' instruction then in John chapter 14 verses 12 to 14 inform our perspective? What do these promises mean? Look again at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will you do. Because I'm going to the Father. Now that is an (laughs) extraordinary promise, isn't it? And what is the problem with it? Isn't the problem with this verse mainly the disparity between what Jesus seems to be promising and that which we are all actually experiencing? Jesus seems to be saying, you will do the same works. No, no, no. You will do greater works than I do. And what are we experiencing? Nothing. (laughs) Mainly. I mean, how many works of Jesus have you done this week? Which of the works that Jesus did have you done? And which of the works which you did this week were greater works than Jesus' works. This is a conundrum. Three weeks ago, um, I was in Oklahoma City for a conference, <laughs> a conference uh, entitled The God Who Heals. It means it was a healing conference. And um, I have a torn ligament in my right knee. And um, three weeks ago, it was just, it was just killing me. The pain at night, for whatever reason, it was at night, was excruciating. I I could not sleep. I mean, I could barely concentrate at this conference. And um, so the first day after the first session, um, it's a healing conference after all, right? I, I went up and I asked for prayer. And there's this really, really nice, friendly couple, they they prayed for me, and, and the gentlemen prefaced their prayer by explaining, hey, you know, before we pray, we just like to wait on the Lord to give us some direction. And so we stood there in silence for a while, and after a minute, I don't know, maybe a couple minutes, this guy, whom I've never seen in my life before, I, have, I, don't, know, I don't even know his name, um, he, he doesn't know me, um, he, he says, I see a mouth. And I hear God's word. Do you happen to be a preacher? And I said, yes. I have the impression that you've been asked to open your mouth more. But you've been reluctant to open your mouth more. Which is true. I I have been recently invited on a number of different uh, situations to assert more influence through preaching, teaching, whatever. But, but my natural impulse is to kind of move to the back of the room rather than the front of the room. And I, I was very reluctant, and I've just, I've just said no. And uh, so he, he goes on, he says, well, the, the Lord wants you to know that he intends for your voice to be heard and his voice to be heard through you more. And then this woman chimes in, and she says, you know, do you happen to be a musician? Like, were you ever a worship leader? And I said, yes, and and then she proceeded to give me an exhortation regarding something specific related to music and worship. And, and then they said, okay, well, now let's pray for your knee. And they prayed for my knee. And that night, the pain in my knee was like five times worse than it had ever been before. And, uh, the, the, the next day, I see this couple in passing, you know, and say, hey, hey, good to see you again today. We're hoping to see you. I mean, how, how's your knee doing? And I, I kind of sheepishly hang my head, and I say, ah, eh, not so good. And they say, oh, thank you so much for being honest. That's, I mean, that, that's so humble of you. Make sure that you ask for prayer again today. And I tell you honestly, um, it was a lot harder to ask for prayer the next day when nothing happened when they prayed the first day. But I did. So, some different folks prayed for my knee earnestly. And again, nothing happened in terms of the pain diminishing. Uh, At the end of the next session, I, I ran into a pastor a well-known pastor that you would all recognize, a kind of a rock star. And I said, hey, would you pray for me? Yeah, sure, I'd love to pray for you. And he prayed for my knee, and nothing happened. Uh, at the end of the next session, <laughs> a lot of good a rock star pastor does, uh... The next session, I came across some old friends, friends that I had not seen. So, like, this one guy had not seen him in like seven or eight years. we I mean, we just, you know, hugging on each other. And I um, say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love it if you guys would pray for me. Oh, yeah, we'd love to pray for you. And this guy, he's, he's embracing me. He's like, I was, I was almost choking. He was holding me so tightly with compassion. He's praying with tears running down his face for For God to heal my knee. And I was so affected by his care. (laughs) And, And when, you know, the end of it all, the pain was still there. It was still there until a week ago this past Tuesday. When I went to the doctor and got a cortisone injection. And then the pain stopped just like that. Now why do I tell you this? If we believe in the divine inspiration and authority of God's word, but the reality that it states is so incongruent with our experience, we will find it very tempting at least, right? Tempting at least to file a text like John fourteen twelve to 14 into this category of things of which we do not speak. This is an uncomfortable verse. We will not talk about it. it. just we just sort of intellectually, practically tear those verses out of our Bibles, and when we are hurting, and when we find ourselves at best praying, it, it's sort of a compulsory prayer. And at worst, we don't pray at all. And perhaps like many sincere conservative Christians we deal with John 14 12-14 by concluding that well the works that Jesus refers to here must mean something other than supernatural miracles and wonders but the purpose of Jesus in making these astonishing promises seems to be that every one, everyone who believes in Jesus would passionately cry out to Jesus for the supernatural workings of Jesus. He made these promises so that you and I might ask for gifts of healings and workings of miracles in His name, in order that God the Father would be praised for his power and exalted in for his compassion, wisdom, goodness. And dominion over all things. So let's face the question, all right? Let's just lean into this. And um, I want to raise some questions from this text. And the first one is In what sense are the works that Jesus' followers do greater than the works that Jesus did? Does that make sense? in what sense are the works that Jesus followers do greater than greater than the works that Jesus did some will explain that the works that Jesus followers do are greater than the works that Jesus did in that they are greater in number Jesus was just solo doing works by himself now the church is global and, and, and now there's just a whole lot more stuff going on all over the planet. And so greater does not refer to a qualitative difference like better works or just more astonishing works or whatever. Greater refers rather to a quantitative difference. In other words, whoever believes in Jesus will do more works than Jesus. Others argue that the works have nothing to do with miracles at all. Um, the works are simply a reference to evangelistic success. And, and, and what is greater is the, just the, the sheer multitudes of people who have come to Christ. When Jesus lived, when he ministered in the world, those who turned to him and trusted him and followed him, it was, a, relatively speaking, a paltry few. Now there are just ook a bazillion Believers all over the world. Just people saved and saved and saved and saved. I I confess that neither of those interpretations feels satisfying to me. They they just don't hold up to what seems to be the plain meaning of the text. My sense is that the, the key to interpreting the word greater Is the phrase, because I'm going to the Father. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus says, greater works than these will he do. That is, the one who believes in Jesus. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So there's something about the works performed after Jesus goes to the Father that makes them greater than the works before uh, performed before Jesus went to the father what is the difference what is that and and the difference is that the works performed after Jesus go to the father occur in a in a very different more advanced Consummation of God's saving purpose in Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus attributes the works being greater because he's going to the Father, what he's referring to is, is his ascension, right? I'm going to the Father. I'm going to ascend to the Father. In, in John 16 verse 7, Jesus says, "...it is to your advantage that I go away to the Father." For if I do not go away to the Father, the Helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go to the Father, I will send Him, that is the Holy Spirit, to you. So it's better that Jesus goes to the Father because then he'll send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the works that believers will do at that point in time will be greater than the works done before that point in time. And that's because the works done before Jesus goes to the Father are all done in anticipation of the cross. They're done in anticipation of the resurrection. They're done in anticipation of the fulfillment of the atonement and the New Covenant. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Now, we stand on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. We stand on the side of of Jesus having gone to the Father. This side of Pentecost, this side of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and now from this vantage point we look back on that crowning achievement, that fulfillment of the atonement, it's an accomplished fact. We live, we move, we serve under the terms of a better covenant, the new covenant, based on a better promise, based on a better mediator, based on a better hope and therefore because Jesus has gone to the Father, And poured out on us the Holy Spirit, what makes the works performed now greater is that they are done in a time that's not looking forward with anticipation for the payment of sin. They are done in a time that looks back on the payment of sin as a finished, accomplished, consummated act. That's how I think about it. And so, Jesus. What he's promising to you and to me is that we we will do works that point back to a completed atonement. We will do works that happen through the powerful application of the accomplishment of atonement. That salvation has happened. And the works that we do now point to the power of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out in His fullness. We're not waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's happened. And the works that we're doing now are done in a time of much greater clarity, a much greater power. Than was true of the works that were done in the time prior to that finished act of redemption on the cross. And therefore the works that we do are greater because of when they occur. Rather than because of what they are. That's how I resolve it. <laughs> I'm not sure if that resolves anything for you. Um, it, It it might explain the sense in which the works we do are greater than the works Jesus did. I I I find it satisfying. But here's what it doesn't satisfy. Here's what it doesn't resolve. It doesn't resolve the challenge of the promise in the first half of John 14.12. Look at it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever... Believes in me, will also do the works that I do. How many of you are thinking like right now? You know, my issue is not so much doing greater works than Jesus did. My issue is my issue is doing the same works that Jesus did, like equivalent works that Jesus did. That's the trouble. Which raises a question, who is it that does these works? To whom is Jesus making these promises? Promises of performing works, even greater works. It says, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That, that, that phrase, whoever believes in me, that, it, it's used 13 times in the Gospel of John and every time that phrase is used, it refers to average, everyday, garden-variety Christians. In other words, the ones doing these works that Jesus did, they're not, they're not just like the apostles that Jesus is addressing there in the upper room on that night. It's whoever believes. Therefore, the promise of doing works, the the works Jesus is talking about, it's not exclusive to apostles or pastors or rock star pastors or elders or deacons or missionaries or really, really mature Christians. To whom is Jesus making this promise? Jesus is addressing whoever believes in him. So think about it this way. Are you a believer in Jesus? If you are a believer in Jesus, then Jesus promises that you will do the works that he did. So then, if that's true, what are the works to which Jesus is referring? What are are we talking about here? And again, since we seldom, like perhaps never have seen anything resembling a miracle, we are tempted to reduce the works, these works, to like Jesus' teaching ministry, um, you know, making disciples, showing compassion, The immediate context suggests otherwise. John 14.11 sheds a ton of light on the meaning of the word works in John 14.12. Verse 11, Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So if my teaching has not convinced you that I'm the Christ, if how I have related to people has not persuaded you that I'm the Christ, well then believe that I'm the Christ on the basis of the works I have performed. And and the works then, they're more than words. The works are more than teaching. The works are displays of supernatural power to heal, to cast out demons, heal Multiply food. Raise the dead. That These are. Let these supernatural deeds engender confidence in you. And faith that I am in fact the Christ. The, the, the word translated works. This, this word occurs 27 times in John's gospel. <clears throat> and um, though the works may certainly include more than the miraculous. Of course. It does not. It does not mean less than the miraculous. Five times the word works refers to the work of the Father in in and through Jesus. For instance, John 17, 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So God the Father has given Jesus works to do. Six times the word refers to the works of people, you know, just acts of obedience, doing right things. But 16 times, The word refers to miracles, signs, wonders, displays of supernatural power. So, we can read that. We can read that and uh, conclude that Jesus really means that his uh, followers are going to do the works that he did. Up here. but struggle with it at the practical level, which is what I did for many years. You know what what provoked the change in my understanding, at least my framework of understanding John 14, 12, almost 40 years ago now? I could read this text and say, yeah, I think that's what that means, but my experience doesn't testify to that at all, so what do I do? And then I read historical accounts. Historical accounts of 2,000 years of Jesus' miraculous works. Beginning with the early church, the first 500 years of church history. These things never stopped. And they have never stopped. I would hear the stories from credible men and women of Jesus' miraculous works happening around the world. And then I saw with my own eyes displays of supernatural works of power. And then I prayed for healings and deliverance and miracles. And when I saw the Spirit of God pour out the power of God to the praise of the Son of God, that's when things changed. Paradigm shift. (laughs) Whoa. So listen. If Jesus in John 14.12 is addressing average Christians, not apostles, just whoever believes in him. And if Jesus is referring by works to actual miracles, supernatural signs and wonders, not just words, not just attitudes, not just nice stuff that he does, but works of supernatural power. then. What are we to do with this promise? What is the claim of John 14, 12 on our lives? And I believe the claim, as I said at the beginning, is that we're to pray. We're to ask. We're to cry out. The functional, practical claim of this text is, is clearly expressed in verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this creates a little bit of a challenge too because of the word whatever and anything. Really? Whatever? Anything? No, not whatever. Anything. <laughs> there are qualifiers right here in the text. Jesus means for us to pray for supernatural displays of the power and compassion of God. But the promises of John 14, 12 to 14, are not, they're not just like whatever. We don't get anything and everything we pray for just because we're believers. We don't get anything and everything we pray for just because we we use the little magic phrase, in Jesus' name. There are four requirements here, it seems, implied for effective, empowered practice of the works of Jesus by believers in Jesus. And the first and most obvious is that empowered practice of the works of Jesus does depend on prayer. You know, I've been asked by by friends, sincere, good friends that are cessationists, not continuationists. Why is it you think that Charismatics and Pentecostals seem to see miracles while we don't see miracles? And, and I, I think I could probably be wrong. But I suspect it's mainly because Charismatics and Pentecostals pursue them. Pray for them. Well, for the most part, cessationists do not pursue them. Don't pray for them. I mean, think about that. Just honestly, right? I mean, if you do not believe, if your framework is that God does not work this way today, God doesn't do this today. I mean, maybe he does it, but, you know, we're not supposed to do this. Um, Would you pray? (laughs) Passionately? Expectantly? Persistently? Without caveats? I mean, it's you know this is baseball season. If you never swing, you're never going to get a hit. I think some people get hits because they just swing more. Some people ask for more, and so though it perhaps is obvious, doing the works of Jesus means persistently, patiently pursuing. Asking, seeking, knocking. It depends on prayer. Second, I'll do this quickly because I want to do something here at the end. Not only is it true that we, we may have not, because we ask not, I think secondly, empowered practice of the works of Jesus begins with the gospel of Jesus. You know, I drew attention to it last week, I think. I think, I hope. Um, but I can never say it enough so just say it again if your mindset is that the Father God the Father is always fundamentally displeased with you like every time you fail every time you every time you sin if if your mindset is is that God has just always got this kind of a frown on his face and his disposition towards you is is displeasure you're never going to minister in power you you will at best engage tentatively but more likely not at all it's it's a fearful thing to walk in guilt and shame sensing that God's always a little bit ticked off in John 15 7-9 Jesus says if you abide in me my words abide in you If you just remain in the good of the gospel? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Friends, the the only ground that we have to stand on in the presence of God for approaching the throne of grace and asking God for anything is Christ and His atoning sacrifice. That is a finished work. It is done. And in Christ, joined to Christ, united with Christ, you cannot be loved by the Father any more than you are now. In Christ, the Father sings over you with joy. And as we live in the conscious sweetness of that union, The joy and pleasure of the Lord's love for us in Christ. Therein is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The pleasure of the Father is our strength. That's the way we sing the songs we sing at the beginning of this service. That's our boldness. That's our power. Live in the good of it. Perhaps we don't ask because... I screwed up again. It's about unbelief in the gospel. Here's a third qualifier. Empowered practice of the works of Jesus depends on asking in Jesus' name. That's what the text says. Whatever you ask for in my name, whatever you ask me in my name. Praying in Jesus' name to be clear, has nothing to do with simply adding like a phrase. It's not a magical incantation. It's not like, you know, just rub the side of the bottle and the genie's going to come out and give you whatever you want. It has nothing to do with that. It has has nothing to do with praying with the right inflection, the right tone, the right volume. It it has nothing to do with getting the words right. Just praying in Jesus' name, it doesn't even necessarily articulating the words out loud. It represents an attitude of the heart. Practically speaking, it means that when we pray, we're acknowledging that the only basis we have to the Father's attention is the virtue and the character of Jesus. And therefore, whatever we're praying for, it should be aligned with the purpose for which Jesus came and lived and died. So is whatever we're asking for aligned with Jesus goals and purpose? Lord, help me get by with this sin. Help me to win the lottery. Help me to you know, I mean are what we're is what we're asking for aligned with Jesus goals? and the purpose for which he came and lived and died and rose again? If so, then whatever it is that we're asking for, he will answer it or he will supply something even better in order that his purposes will be fulfilled. So, maybe we have not because our purposes and our good is more important than Jesus' purposes and Jesus' goals. Here's the last thing. Empowered practice of the works of Jesus aims for the honor and praise of God. If you ask Jesus for something that's not going to give the Father honor, praise, glory, you can be sure he is not the one who's going to give it. The whatever of John 14, 13, the anything of John 14, it must be something by which God is glorified in Jesus. And so like the, like the entire reason for prayer ex, that, that exists is to display the God the Father, God the Son as glorious. And perhaps the reason we don't see more of Jesus' works today is because the Lord knows we, we just can't bear the temptation of not boasting in ourselves. So to keep us from boasting in ourselves, be patient. I'll give you... What will glorify me when, I, when, it's, when it's my time, my purpose, says the Lord. So, I want to end now um, taking a risk. Take a little risk here, but I'd like to make some space to do two things. One, to entrust ourselves to Jesus' promises in John 14, 12-14. If we entrust ourselves to the promises, then we'll do a second thing. We'll pray in Jesus' name with hearts yielded and committed to the fulfillment of his purposes for us in this moment to the end that God would be glorified, honored, praised. And I'd like to invite the praying to be done by whoever believes in Jesus. So not just the elders. So let's try this. See what happens. If um, perhaps you have a physical condition that you'd like us, you'd like prayer for. Um, just keep in mind, fevers were not too small a thing for Jesus. Lifelong blindness and lameness was not too big for Jesus. If there's a physical condition, we'd like to pray for you. And I know there's a couple people that I talked to earlier about praying for you today. There's a couple other categories um, that, that feel really impossible. And, and that's the category of prodigals. I know that there are some prodigal husbands. I know there are some prodigal kids. And there may be some prodigal friends. Those who have professed faith and now have completely renounced their faith. Only a miracle will change that. Maybe you have somebody in mind that we could pray for. A third category might be just a, a sense of knowing that there is a stronghold of sin. Sin has Some sin has dominion over you. Uh, it, it could be an addiction, it could be an idolatry, it could be just some sinful attitude, but it holds you, and you know it holds you, and you, you just aren't free, and you'd like Jesus to intervene. And there might be some other category that I haven't even thought of. But if you would like us to pray, could I, and I don't want you to feel any pressure about this at all. So, this is not some manipulative moment, but um, just by faith in this promise, we'd love to pray for you. W- would you be willing to stand? And um, those of you that I, that I you know, we did talk earlier, love to make sure that you're standing. <laughs> we can pray for somebody. And and I'll tell you, you can pray for my right knee because I still have a torn ligament in my right knee. So, I'll be one of the the prayees, but it, it, would you stand? If that's you, it's... Go ahead and um, I want to pray for Samantha Hines. Wonderful. Thank you. I know Scott has his torn retina healing. Of course, I want to pray for Brian Kegley. Well, that's that's very vulnerable of you and humble of you. So, now, whoever believes in Jesus, you're the prayers. Okay, so you see the people standing. Could we get around these folks that are standing and just take like 30 seconds, if if you're comfortable, the ones wanting prayer, if you're comfortable saying, this is what I like prayer for, explain that to them. Go ahead, <laughs> explain what you'd like to be prayed for. And I am going to lead us just in a, in a, a, a brief prayer, and then I'm going to turn you loose and um, we'll pray and... And in just a moment or two, um, worship team will come back and lead us in a song. Go ahead, just make sure that everybody knows what you're asking for prayer about. Sovereign Lord Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them Sovereign Lord who rules and reigns perfectly wisely completely over all things with goodness and wisdom and power and dominion Look upon the needs the heart cries of your people and would you would you grant oh lord healing would you grant deliverance and freedom would you grant supernatural power to accomplish your saving purposes Would you magnify the glory of your kingship and rule and reign and dominion over all things including physical bodies. Including our vocations. Including our relationships. Including our sanctification and becoming more like Jesus. Including deliverance from sinful bondage. Including deliverance from demonic stronghold? Including spiritual blindness and hardness of heart. Would you bring salvation? Would you bring the, your power Lord Jesus to bear? The same power by which you worked your miracles. And the same power by which today you empower your people through the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit of God and fall fresh on every concern represented here in this room. Those standing, those not standing, those who are quietly and silently agonizing through things. Would you come, Lord Jesus, now. Bring your power and presence to bear. We ask it for the sake of your great name and the glory of the Father. Lord, do as you would see fit to do today. We pray this not because this is some magical phrase by which we get whatever we want. This is, this is us trusting what you have said and and living out uh, imperfectly as it may be our faith and our obedience to do what you've called us to do.